Content warning. This episode of No Gods, No Monsters touches on potentially triggering topics, including substance use and sexual assault. Anything else I can do for you? Well, gas. You could check your bioport plugs. What? Spark plugs? You heard me. My friend here has a bioport problem. A bioport? No. That's a sort of hole in your spine, isn't it? Lots of assholes around here, but that's generally it. What's the closest you've ever felt to a, a product that wasn't your phone? Real question. Like the most intimate, the most connected you've ever felt to a product, but not your phone. Man. I mean, probably my, this feels like a, 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 a bad answer, but probably my like uh, 60 gig iPod classic. Um, Fair. Yeah. That yeah. was, that was like a really that one of the few things that like when when it broke i was like i was sad i i've been my whole life i'm very much a person who like i don't have a lot of things i don't like buy myself mm -hmm. things and a big part of why i don't buy myself things is because that ipod classic broke and i felt <laughs> sad <laughs> yeah ipods are the only apple products i've ever bought um and uh i'm sad that they didn't stick stick around um in fact, I I specifically have bought Androids. Well, a because I don't like Apple, but uh, b because they have um slots for a SD cards, so I could put music on my SD cards. Oh, sick! I had way more music than would fit on a phone, at least at the time. Uh, but their amplifiers, um, the iPod amplifiers, are so good. I don't know what the fuck it is. Like music sounds better on an iPod than it does on like an a newer iPhone or a android phone or any of that shit is like one of the only good products of my lifetime it is like one of my really strong feelings is there's like in in our lifetime they've come up with some really great medicine and ipod and those are like the two things that that matter uh and remember folks the music only sounds good on an apple ipod and the monarch legacy of monsters can only be seen on apple tv which we'll be covering next week no they don't even sell it to you anymore they hate you, you. Uh, yeah true, totally I'm trying to think of like another thing that i've owned that i felt like i i have this uh. <laughs> i i got this sticker in the mail that says I listen to Japanese harsh noise and I'm not registered to vote. And I really <laughs> and I think it's it's really funny. It makes me laugh every time I see it, which is every single day of my life. It makes me smile. And that's <laughs> so the, good. the second thing I felt the closest to. How about you? Um, um on my on my trip, real quick, I, I saw a bumper sticker. It was on a white, like just a shitty late 90s white nondescript minivan that some 50-year-old guy was driving. And it had one bumper sticker on the back, and it was just plain black sticker white text. And it said, I don't give a fuck about this van. <laughs> and it <laughs> killed me. And it was like, fuck was like all the symbols. Like, I don't give a shit. I don't know what it was. But it, 
I don't know why it destroyed me. I just thought it was so fucking weird. And he just looked like a normal ass dad. I don't know. It was great. Um, <laughs> non That's a great practicing non-attachment though. That's cool. Maybe he's a Buddhist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that it specifically said van. Like if it just said car, it wouldn't have been anything. But the no. fact that it said van on a van. Oh, so solid. Um, <laughs> I was I tried not to answer this for myself until we got here to be on e- equal footing, and if I'm thinking back, if and it's not an iPod, it's like like a, a bong or a piece. Yeah, like, I was gonna say I've shot up drugs. Um, I guess that's pretty close. Oh yeah, I, I, okay, that's, that's pretty oh. uh, intimate. I guess if we're talking that kind of close, then a butt plug for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Welcome to No Gods, No Monsters, where the anti-capitalist kaiju and monster movie podcast in a world where no one's coming to save us. I'm Rabbit. I'm Sweet Baby Charlie, a.k.a. the Demoness Charlie, a.k.a. the Demon Charlie, a.k.a. the Salmon of Knowledge. And I'm Bardo. Uh, and today we're talking about 1999's Existence. Is that how I say it? Existence. 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 Okay. Stins. Uh, next time, we're going to be talking about the second half of the Godzilla series, Monarch Legacy of Monsters. So watch out for that. And then after that, what are we talking about after that? Is it, it's got to be somebody's pick. Is it Bartos pick? Yeah, Bartos, you know pick. Bartos, Bartos pick. Bartos pick. Do you know what you're picking yet? Oh, yeah, I know what I'm picking. Oh, yeah. We're doing 28 days later. And you know what? We're bringing my wife on to talk about it because she has a has a take. We developed. I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to steal some thunder. We developed a take together. Uh, two minds working together, and I'm so excited <laughs> to talk to you guys about that. Hell yes! Awesome. That sounds great. Super stoked for that. Uh, we're on Patreon, folks. You can go to Patreon.com/slash/NoGodsPod to check us out. We have bonus episodes, released a new bonus episode today where I ranked the Saw movies and these guys hung out and helped me do it. Uh, We have behind the scenes stuff. There's a ton of stuff on there. And for $1 a month, you get everything at all that we do. Thank you to all the patrons that we have so far, including some new ones since we last recorded. And a special thank you to Captain Anarchy, our uh, subscriber at the Salmon of Knowledge tier. Thank you. All right. (laughs) Charlie. Do you want to tell us what Existence is about? Oh, man. I, uh, that's a difficult <laughs> one. I don't know if this, this works. Maybe we can, you guys can workshop this for me, but uh, I'll throw it out to you. A group of gamers congregate in a church to test out the new game Existence by game designer slash demoness Allegra Geller. The gamer gator smuggles a gun made from bone and tooth into the test and attempts to assassinate Allegra. Surviving the counter, Allegra flees with PR nerd Ted Peichel, and the two advance on an EverQuest in the virtual realms in an attempt to save existence. Along the way, they finger holes, tongue holes, suck, suck flesh pods into holes, <laughs> listen to the band hole, and kill Chinese waiters. Ultimately, the game of existence ends in multiple layers of betrayal. But wait! There's one more layer of betrayal, as it's revealed to the viewer that the entire movie has been a game. In reality, Allegra and Paykel are anti-gamer assassins. The end. Or, or is that just another game? <laughs> <laughs> it's existence, baby. Hell yeah. 
before we give our takes on this movie, anybody have any resources or sources they want to lay out? Charlie, I know you did some uh, some deep dives into some DVDs. Yeah. Uh, I got the new 4K put out by Vinegar Syndrome, and I went through a lot of special features on the disc. Uh, let's see. I watched the commentary with David Cronenberg, the writer slash director slash producer. I watched half of the commentary with visual effects supervisor Jim Isaac. I ran out of time, so I did not finish it. I watched... This one I really want to shout out. Uh, a new commentary track put up to this edition by um, historian, film historian Dr. Jennifer Mormon. And she really focused on uh, the philosophical references uh, being made by the movie, as well... Um, as uh, gender politics, and she also touched on a lot of kind of Marxist uh, and labor-related points that you could relate to the movie. Uh, her, I highly, highly, highly recommend her commentary track. I think it's very informative. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a great track. Uh, but also, yeah. this this disc has a bunch of like interviews and stuff with different people that I also watched. But yep, it's a great disc. Oh, I also um, dug out my book, Cronenberg on Cronenberg, the movie where he touches on, uh, where he compiles different interviews he's talked about on different movies of his, and it only goes up to 1993's Crash, the movie made <laughs> oh. he made before this. So, um, Wait, it's a book, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, so it's not very helpful in this movie, but because I dug it out, <laughs> I might just um, open it up to random pages and read some stuff because so it doesn't go to waste me. Good call, yeah. I'm yeah. digging it out. Good. Uh, I read On the Origin of the Influencing Machine in Schizophrenia by Victor Tosk. Or I, I reread it. It's been the first time in a while. It's, I think it's from 1911. And then I read the... Um, First couple pages of Desiring the Technological Body toward a Delusian Guattarian reading of David Cronenberg's video drone and Existence, uh, which was just uh, someone's PhD thesis. But then I realized that it was like 125 pages and the first like section is all about how Canadian David Cronenberg is. And I realized I didn't really <laughs> care about this shit. So I I, I don't think any Canadian. of that's going to make it in. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Cool. I read one short article uh, by Anton Battelle posted on the blog Little White Lies. It's called How Existence Predicted the Gaming Industry's Dark Future. Got Ooh. some stuff from that, but also the article never mentions How Existence Predicted the Gaming Industry's Dark <laughs> Future. It's definitely like a producer clickbait title later. Uh, first of all, quick. Quick correction, I just said 1993's Crash, it's 1996's Crash. Um, oh, okay, even I got, closer. I yeah. got the three mixed up because it's three years before. Uh, and then also, <laughs> I forgot to mention, my my movie also came with a booklet with a couple essays by um, Existence, Y2K, and the Virtual Reality Films of the 90s by Justin LaLiberty, who's one of the head dudes behind the company that put the movie out, Vendigrade Syndrome. And this was like a Special project of his, I think, because he loves this movie. And then the essay, Existence and the Art of Interactivity by John Diringer. Cool. Well, Charlie, this was your pick, so you go first. Do you want to give us your general thoughts and feelings on the film? Yeah. I mean, I picked this because, like I said, it 
just was released on 4K, um, and I have not watched it for probably, I don't know, 18 years or something um, since my old DVD copy. Uh, David Carnerberg is one of my all-time favorite directors. I have a Videodrome tattoo and a Naked Lunch tattoo. For Christmas, I got a Videodrome poster. I love Cronenberg. And this, I kind of consider, like, I don't know, B-tier Cronenberg. And I still kind of think that, but I still absolutely love this movie. I think it's great. And uh, I kind of was able to grasp now some of the more, I guess, deeper parts of this movie, I guess. Um, And, yeah, I don't know. I love this movie. It's great. Fuck yeah. I sort of felt... Like exactly like I do watching almost any Cronenberg movie when I watch this movie where I can appreciate what it's doing and I could find a lot of it like very interesting and like thoughtful. Um, But I don't have empathy for anyone on screen in any of his films because everyone is such a fucking alien that like (laughs) I just don't. and, And I don't think that you need to have empathy to enjoy a film. And so I don't think he's doing anything wrong. Um, I think I'm actually wrong here to a certain extent, <laughs> but uh, because I, my dude is doing art and there are so many, like the, I, the roast stuff in here was like so cool. And the, a lot of great acting and a lot of great, just kind of like ideas. And at the end of it, I was like, eh, that was okay. You know? And, and, and that's sort of how I always, I've not seen all of his movies. I liked his new one a lot. I liked Crimes of the Future like a whole lot. I thought that was, I mean, as far as Cronenberg movies go, but plays with some of the same themes, uh, kind of. Definitely, definitely. Mm. And but again, I like walked out of it, and you know, and I had the same thought of this one is like when you know I went into Crimes of the Future being like, oh my god, it's about surgery. I'm gonna feel really like icky and weird and. I realized as I'm watching it that I'm like, oh, because all of these people are such fucking aliens that I don't like, <laughs> I don't like, it doesn't matter to me <laughs> what they're doing <laughs> to each other. Like, I don't care. It doesn't, it doesn't wake me up that much. And which again, I think has, there's like value in that. I think there's a lot of value in what he's doing, but whatever the case, I didn't dislike watching this movie. I feel almost nothing, <laughs> but I, it's very cool at the same time. Sweet. I feel like if I were to ask y'all what happened when I watched this movie, you would know because it's the exact same thing that keeps happening every time oh, yeah. Charlie picks a weird movie. <laughs> Is that like the first time I watched it, yeah, I was like empty. I was like, that movie was funny. I thought it was <laughs> funny. And then I was like, I like I hated the ending so much. It was so predictable that they were in a video game the whole time. Yeah. And it was very like... I didn't think that they had a good explanation for why they had to even play the video game. It felt very, I had a lot of questions that didn't seem like they would have fun answers. And I was, but I was very much the first time I was watching it, I was watching it like a mystery. Who's after them? What's going on? What are we going to find out? What's the answer? Which is not the way to watch this movie. And I feel like this thing happens a lot where sometimes a movie clicks with me right away. And sometimes I need like, a tiny peek into what's going on for it all to like flood out. Like I need a crack in the dam and then it explodes. And Charlie, you like posted uh, (laughs) that this, the like uh, that commentary that you just recommended that she mentions Mm. like four topics. And I was like, what the fuck? And then 
I, I, I was like, okay, I'm clearly, I knew I was missing something, but now I know I am. So I read this really short article that like wasn't mind blowing, but like had a little bit. And within a paragraph, I was like, oh my God, this movie's doing so many things. And then the second watch through actually was like kind of my third. I watched half of it. Then I fell asleep. Then I rewatched the whole thing. And I was still like, whatever. And then the second watch through, I had such a great time. And I don't know that I'm like, like as a movie sitting back and just enjoying it. I don't know that it's for me, but like, even when I didn't love it, I was like, this is cool. There's weird, cool shit going on. But that time going through, like I had so much fun tracking all the things going on and the themes. And I've like had so many pages of notes and I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I think this movie fucking rules, even if I don't necessarily like want to sit down and watch it again. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, Oops, sorry. Oh, I, no, you go ahead. I, I was going to say, I'm just going to tack on that. Like, I felt like there is so much stuff for us to talk about in this movie. Oh, and yeah. I'm so excited about yeah. that. Even if, again, it wasn't like it didn't make me feel a ton of things. It did make me think a lot, which is great. And it made me want to watch more of his movie. Like, I was like, OK, here we go. I got to do the library. I did. I've done Videodrome. I've watched The Fly. Now I got to watch all of his movies. Um, so good job, Charlie. Yeah, uh, I I love Cronenberg, um, like I, like I just said. But I want to. I, I think he is a really original uh, film director and film artist. I I don't think there's any other director quite like him. As much as his son might try totally. to might try to imitate his style, <laughs> his son is not within a hundred miles. No. Um, and uh, to tack on to your critique of him, um, Barto, I mean, I think it's very evident that he originally went to college, I think, for like chemistry or something science-like, and then he switched to arts. And I think that you can really kind of tell he has that part to him because his, his movies are all very clinical in the way he kind of approaches everything. There's a very, I don't know, sterilized, detached... Um, scientific approach it feels like it feels like it's made by a scientist i guess a scientist with an interest in art um i mean i i I agree with your critique i just don't necessarily find that to be a barrier i guess um yeah and i wouldn't even call it a critique like i don't think Mm -hmm. there's anything wrong with the fact that i don't empathize with any of his characters like there might be something wrong with me if i did uh but there, (laughs) like Yeah, I don't think it's wrong. It's just, it is a barrier to my brain for me getting into the film. I gotta say, the when I was sold that I liked that this movie existed and I'm glad I was watching it, was when they it was very clear that the bioports looked like buttholes and they put chapstick lube on them <laughs> and then he licked hers. Like, I was just like, okay... This guy doesn't give a fuck. Like, it's so fucking funny to me. And I don't know, I like, I feel like these. this movie is like weirdly, I mean, in a very Cronenberg way, it's like, it's like impressive that I can be so distressed with such silliness. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, if the Muppets gave me nightmares, like, I don't quite understand <laughs> how he's able to pull it off. Um but it's it's like yeah it's very unique i will agree with you it's very yeah. creative and unique and uh i'm glad that i got to watch it two and a half times and think about it a lot but yeah. wh- where do y'all there's so uh, much to dive into what go go ahead uh just to add on to what you're just saying about it being funny um yeah i think a lot of people sometimes miss that he's intentionally humorous in a lot of these movies because i guess it's presented in such a I guess I, I don't know more serious matter, but there is definitely intentional humor going on, and uh, yeah. one of the 
interviews with, um, I think like a set designer or something like that. She talks about how she had always seen Crash as funny. And like when she like first like met or talked to Cronenberg, he like talked about how there is intentional humor in Crash that everyone seemed to miss. And she was like, oh my God, I... Really? I've always thought oh, it, that it's very funny. Yeah. I mean, that is yeah. the thing about Cronenberg that I like is he is very funny. I think. yeah, I I agree, but I, I think a lot of people kind of miss that. Um, yeah, but there is like I I think I could get people missing it because it's funny and there's so much dialogue that's like I almost feel like the actor is mocking the character they're playing, but it's also melodramatic at the same time, which is like a weird misdirect. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's and it, I also think though that like when you're first in one of these movies, you don't really understand what's going on yet, and so you don't know what's like where it's heading, and so mm -hmm. it's hard to know if it's supposed to be funny or if it's taking itself seriously until you look retroactively. You know, yeah, sure. Like until a joke as obvious as the, like the the micro things that they're selling that are supposed to be like. Micropods. iPods. Like, until something like that obvious comes out, it's hard to be confident that it's supposed to be funny. You could just be like, Jude Law's acting very strange. <laughs> you know? <laughs> the, I mean, to me, the first real clue that this is a, this is like, this is a comedy as much as it is anything else was the the country gas station. I was about to say that, yeah. Such, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, very, very funny. And should have been my first clue that they were in another, like, they were in a meta, they were in a game world. Yeah, game you know? a game. When you yeah. watch it again, from the first fucking second, they're beating you over the head with clues. It's mm. wild how fake the world is. You mean yeah. the, like, um, oh, sorry. I say, like, the, the car ride, like, away from it, that's uh, done with rear projection, um intentionally when they're having a dialogue going uh, in the car going away from right. escaping the church that's done as rear projection intentionally to imply it's uh in a video game it's but he gets shot with a gun made of bones shooting right. it like right, right, right. but it's one of those things where you don't know because it's of the tone in cronenberg and it's a new world is this supposed to be a weird reality or is this supposed to be our reality where this is now a game and you only know i think the only way you know kind of maybe that it's the latter that it's like this isn't a world where you could actually have a gun made of bones that shoots teeth is when the the game pieces are revealed not to be actual flesh and they're blue blue plastic and then it's like oh that was part of the weirdness of the game not the world but that's something you can only know later right well there's so many topics and they all weirdly combine in a very impressive way. I feel like Cronenberg is talking about so much. We're barely going to scratch it. But do you all have a like theme or topic you want to start with? I feel pretty confident talking about the machines themselves. Like I have some I have some thoughts cool. about those and or like the gaming pods within the context of the most most of the movie in, in the game, you know, um, yeah. because what it so. They're these machines that make you have um, kind of confusion about your identity to a certain extent, right? And also puts you in a situation where you're not quite like in control of yourself. They're playing with like uh, ideas of uh, free will and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And the thing that they made me think of right away was the influencing machine, which is sort of a common hallucination, I guess. Uh, that 
people who are suffering from schizophrenia get, where there's the idea is that there's a machine being controlled by enemies or whatever that makes them behave the way they do, sends like unpleasant uh, uh, stimulation through the body, attach them by wires in the like in their bed, which made me think of the umbilical cord. This guy, Victor Tosk, talks about how because he's a an analyst at the turn of the century that they always represent genitalia uh, of the patient and i think there's a pretty good case to be made that both the the pods in the film are both penises and at least have a clitoris i, I that's well, sort of how i read it yeah I, I think that they're in and i think this goes covers a lot of the things going on in the movie but i think of the pods as a purposeful combination of like sexual and stimulatory organs and procreation because you have an umbilical cord hooked to like a nipple clitoris yeah thing yeah, yeah. originally i just want to throw this out there the concept was they're supposed to be half organic half mechanical but as they're making the movie he thought that was kind of like a confused concept um and i i agree i think it works better that it's a fully organic totally game pod but um yes it's it's uh it's a uh, he in his commentary says that there's um there's sex in pretty much every single scene in this movie and i think the, no uh, <laughs> game pods <laughs> game pods themselves are uh, very much obviously a part of that <laughs> i actually think this is his most normal undertaking about sex <laughs> well, that i've, I've ever I mean, coming seen after from him. crash <laughs> yeah <laughs> where someone literally fucks a leg wound <laughs> Yeah, I, I told a friend I was re-watching this. Uh, she had seen part of this with me, and she said, okay, have fun watching your not-porno, <laughs> which I think is a perfect descriptor of this movie. Uh, okay, but Barto, but you were... Oh, Charlie. I, I used to curate a movie night, and I brought Crash once, and um, we had to change the movies after a few scenes because there was just so much sex in it that the people were just like, this is too much this is way too much it is a lot <laughs> but yeah. uh yes Barto, where were you going with the so i i just want to read one two three four the four main effects of the influencing machines according to so, uh to make sure that i'm understanding the context of what we're talking about is this a common belief among some schizophrenic people who experience similar things is that what we're talking about correct okay this is like this is something that hundreds of years old that okay. people have some some version of this that changes as technology changes. Sure. Uh, but uh, it makes the patient see pictures. When this is the case, the machine is generally a magic lantern or cinemagraph. Uh, the pictures are seen on a single plane or walls or window panes, which is not exactly what we got going here because... This was at the turn of the century and not the turn of the next century. Um, uh, it produces as well as remove thoughts and feelings by means of waves or rays or mysterious forces, uh, which the patient's knowledge of physics is inadequate to explain. In such cases, the machine is often called a suggestion apparatus, uh, which they are, you know, that the... The first scene where Jude Law is is like yelling at the the guy from the uh, gaming store and is like, why did I just say that? You know, mm -hmm. feels very similar to that. Uh, it produces motor phenomena in the body. Uh, 
specifically erections and stuff like that, but also perhaps shooting the waiter at your restaurant. <laughs> uh, it creates sensations that in part cannot be described because they are strange to the patient himself and that in part are sensed as electrical, magnetic, or due to air currents. And five, it is responsible for other occurrences in the patient's body, such as uh, 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 cutaneous eruptions, abscesses, or other pathological processes. But basically, I just sort of thought of uh, the gaming pods as like schizophrenia machines, which they even which they even touch on. You know, yeah. he, she says, "Lean into it; it makes you feel schizophrenic." But yeah, lean it's into kind it. of a schizophrenic feeling, totally. And then at another point, I feel like there were two points of like uh, non-official diagnosis. Like there was that line, and then there was Jude Law talking about um, how it it would something about it feeling like psychosis. Um, right. Well, Interesting. Barta, what's your relationship with video games? Uh, I've played video games before. Yeah, uh, but you don't play video games. You're not a gamer. <laughs> you haven't been one for a long time. So I think maybe you're coming at that with a negative perspective. No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I don't think <laughs> all video games are schizophrenia machines. I think or some of them schizophrenia are. Schizophrenia machines are necessarily a negative. Nobody has said such a yeah. thing. That's the other thing. I'm not. I'm not putting a value judgment on schizophrenia machine. Uh, you know, to each their own. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I don't know exactly where to go with that because it's tied into a lot. I think that I like. There's a lot of weird psychoanalytic shit in this movie. One of the things that jumped out to me first was when they're having the like semi-consensual make-out session where their characters want to and they're kind of giving in and kind of not and uh y'all know what i'm talking about like in the gaming yeah, store yeah yeah and then he's grabbing onto her boob and then suddenly he's he's transitioned and he's holding on to a weird mutant amphibian and that <laughs> felt like a weird like post-nut clarity of your like fetish uh, objects becoming real you know when, what i mean when that cut happens you can also the sound carries over for a few seconds longer yes so you see him holding on to the amphibian and there's still her moaning over the top yeah of it. totally and that was the most like okay we're talking about like we're we're doing some weird psychosexual investigation here well, which i should have known from the beginning encountering is... the, the real of your fetish yes. object or whatever the, this exactly. is the guy that made the uh, um, Freud slash Young uh, biopic. So is that uh, good? I, I want to watch that. that I've it's, never seen it. Um, it's it's about it's not it's about um, the other guy who's a, a student of Freud's who is an anarchist who uh, who had like big plans for psychoanalysis and just no one liked it. Oh, I, I I always thought it was Young and Freud, but I have no idea. Um, I think I think so. Yeah, that's one of his movies I've never seen. I know. It doesn't have the best reviews, but I don't know how much of that is people going into it as a Cronenberg movie and then being disappointed that it was him mm. moving away from his his known style. Anyways. Uh, most of my thoughts about the psychoanal psychoanalytic stuff in this movie is about desire, but I kind of want to touch on some other stuff first because I feel like that's the central kernel everything's revolving around. Are y'all down... Well, I don't know. If there's somewhere people want to jump off from where you're going, Bartow. Uh, yeah, I mean... What I thought about a lot, and, and this, I guess, comes into, I don't know a ton about existentialism, sure. but mm -hmm. but this sort of, like, the, the other thing that the, uh, the influencing machines do is they control people around you. You know, they're not only influencing you, but they're influencing other people 
friends and family or people who are hostile to you or whatever. And all of this kind of, kind of made me think of um, uh, Sartre has these sort of two categories. There's being for itself, which is like like being a conscious person, you know, like uh, us, all of us talking to each other are sort of are being for itself. And then the the op- the other side of that would be being in itself and that's sort of like like a uh, a chair is being in itself um in this but also like i'm pretending to be a podcaster i'm like be pre- like i'm being in it, it a podcaster essentially but a rock is much better at being in itself than i am at being a podcast oh, I just... because the rocket so one of the beings is just pure I, in my mind with layman's terms pure being pure existence and another is like conscious being and conscious existence right okay and we're, we're always you know uh he uses the example of a waiter he talks about a waiter thinks himself a waiter but he can't embody being a waiter in the same way that like an inkwell can embody being an inkwell which brings me to like I thought about one of the immediate things when I finished this movie was like, what's going on with the other players? Because I was dude, wondering that too. Um, same. I was wondering if, I don't know if that's just a David Cronenberg not being super familiar with video games. So it doesn't occur to him. Like all these other people are supposed to be playing these parts, but then when they're not in the plot, then what the fuck are they doing? I mean, or- I feel like there's definitely some ignorance of video games. That's part of why, the movie doesn't hit as hard as it should, but I also Mm. think he's smart enough to know that the dialogue in the movie about, for instance, Darcy being an in-game character wouldn't work once you find out that he was an actual player. You know what I mean? Like he's, but unless he's not an actual player and at the end, that's just another level deeper in the game. Well, but okay. So when Charlie, when you first said this movie is about, existentialism i thought how the fuck is that possible because the other thing that sartre says is that we're condemned to be free and this is extremely not that you know that is like when i think about how everyone is interacting and moving about in the the film because you know even allegra she gets stuck in a in a dialogue tree at some point even though we know otherwise she's moving around. Uh, I didn't know if she was trying to fuck with Ted when she does that or um I think or what that was. We only don't see Ted um stuck in that dialogue tree it because we're going through this movie from his perspective. I think yeah. that's the only reason we don't notice that he interesting he is um moving about the world freely when everyone else looks like they're not i I can't buy that i can't buy that at all because we're not in his perspective he dies and we stay with allegra that's okay that's true i i don't think i don't i don't think i think one of the hardest i i think this movie has a bunch of cool shit it's doing but i don't think you can get to the heart of what's really happening because we actually can't know if anyone or none of them or all of them or some of them are actually real people or anything like that. We don't know who's yeah. part of a game. We don't know. It's impossible. Yeah. yeah, we don't know if the last scene is within the game itself or what. Man. I mean, I have a this movie, once I once you said the word existentialism, I watched it again, Charlie. This movie has so much existentialism and it's insane. But I'm 
I'm not going as deep as Bartow. I just mean on like the the surface level, you I, know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess my point was just that from the perspective that we are granted for most of this movie, we see sure. someone who is who we see as like normally conscious as conscious as like a person operating in the world. And then we see all these other people who are don't seem like or don't seem like they're doing anything. But at the end, if we were to take the end as the real life, and that's the only the only way I can get basically any meaning out of this movie at all is if I just decide that the the final scene is the real world. Mm. Yeah, and I can't uh, imagine it being uh, the real world. (laughs) But that's fair. That's fine. We can we can we can take a different lens at a different time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We Uh, don't I mean, we don't need to agree on that as as a group. That's fine. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. That that's the only like way I I I see how the way people move and interact in this film uh, makes any sense to me. Yeah, another sure. thing about it being from uh, Peichel's, uh perspective is also we're the same uh, mind frame of him where he yes. doesn't know anything about the about gaming about this this virtual reality games and neither do we. So we're learning the rules of everything at the same time he is. But it turns um, out he does like he's lying and he's, thing, a, he's that, realist underground. So how much can it be from his perspective when we don't know that the entire time he's he's really uh, yeah. been planning to assassinate Allegra or Yevgeny Nourish? Um, um, yeah, I mean, we, yeah. like I wrote down like all the um, uh, where is it? Sorry. The like keeping track of like. Okay, cortical systems are the enemies of reality, but the realists are those who want to destroy the gaming industry. But Darcy Nader was a mole for the cortical systematic, and you can track it, but I don't think you're meant to. I think no, I part of think it is so. that it's it feels very almost. I'm like surprised you haven't said gang stalking yet, uh, Barto. <laughs> yeah, no, it crossed my mind. Well, uh, conspiracy the... for the sake of conspiracy, no coherent. Yeah, I mean, don't they even in the focus group at the end kind of like comment on how? Yes. Uh, uh, convoluted the the narrative yeah. the plot gets yeah I th- totally yeah no I, it's I, it's very I mean and that's again why I thought about schizophrenia is that sure that like yeah you can follow this plot but it's it's very it's just things just keep getting thrown at you and you are like the you're um, just barely like the the sorry the the symbols are basically meaningless, you know, yeah. like what the the names and all that, they don't mean anything and they're just flying past you. You're not latching on to anything and you're just you're just hanging on. I and think. the characters, too, it's like, oh, you shouldn't have killed the Chinese waiter. He was actually a double agent mole or whatever. Or he was actually your guy. This guy was a mole. So me, yeah. new guy, trust me and kill this other guy instead. Like there's no reason for them not to think everyone's a double agent or a mole. And in fact they do, but they still go along with things because what else are you going to do? And I feel like that's the existentialism of the movie. Like there's so many lines that are almost cheesy. I mean, they are kind of cheesy in how over the top they are. Like, Reality is just a video game, man. Like, uh, I'm going to go through some of these. What precisely is the goal of the game we're playing now? You have to play the game to find out why you're playing the game. It's the future, Pykel. You'll see how natural it feels, which is just like, we're in the postmodern era. There's no grand narratives anymore. There's no God anymore. We're not going to tell you what life's about. You just have to make it up or figure it out based on guesses. You know, Mm. Um, you might be new, but you seem like you know what you're doing. 
everyone we meet is faking it and we're all new here and we don't know what's happening <laughs> uh uh, the whole this one I feel like was the most over the top. They're showing a conveyor belt of mutant carcasses just going along, which is us. And it's like, I don't want to be here. Calm down. You've just had a bad case of first time user anxiety. I don't like it here. I don't know what's going on. We're both stumbling around together in this unformed world whose rules and objectives are largely unknown, seemingly indecipherable, or even possibly non-existent, always on the verge of being killed by forces we don't understand. That's obviously talking about uh, our existence. And wait one second. And then he's like, I'm not even going to let you. Cronenberg's uh, like, I'm not even going to let you figure that out for yourself, that that's our existence. He goes, Sounds like she goes, sounds like my game. All right. And he goes, sounds like a game that's not easy to market. And then she goes, sounds like a game. Everyone's already playing like, he's yeah. like this is reality. <laughs> this is where you are. Uh, <laughs> so in his commentary, he in his commentary, he specifically called that that uh, dialogue um, existentialist propaganda and pure yes. Heidegger. <laughs> nice. And. Yeah, we're talking about being. There we go. Um, which, for people who don't know, Sartre's book that Barto's bringing up is uh, "Being and Nothingness," which is a response slash follow up to Heidegger's "Being in Time." Uh, right. So they're talking a lot about being. But also, I thought it was interesting that the, I think the ending has to be ambiguous because the game is called Existence. Mm -hmm. You know, existence, existential, like. The idea is that this game you're in where you don't know what's happening and the rules don't make sense and you're never going to figure it out is existence. And then they come out of the game and the game it turns out they were really in is called Transcendence. Transcendence. <laughs> you're transcending yeah. the the game of existence, but it's unclear whether you really transcend. Like, is transcendence what? possible is the question that the movie asks and tells you you can't answer, right? Like... They purposely have the end of the movie be confusing as hell. Like, are the characters there not moving and responding to the violence because they're still in a game or because they're desensitized from video games? Like, we don't know. Cronenberg doesn't know if transcendence is possible, and that's part of the game of existence and the confusion. It's also transcendence by pilgrimage, and they're uh, playing it in a church. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Let's talk about so, theology, folks. Can, can we? Because that was like that. That was the first thing I was thinking about. It was like, yeah. oh, this is in a church. There's there's like, twelve seats. Uh, like, twelve apostles. Oh, uh, someone he oh, he brought that yeah. up in the commentary. He's like, people always point out to me that uh, uh, there's twelve seats, like twelve houses. Like, really, originally it was twenty seats we had up there, but it was too crowded, um, and we found that that twelve was like the perfect visual amount. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I, I mean, was... it's one of those. It's like you said uh, at American Werewolf, Bartow. If if he had done it the way he meant to, it would have been a worse movie. Like, yeah, the intention is completely right. Yeah, yeah, relevant. Uh, yeah, I I thought about you know like. They're in this church. They're talking about getting something downloaded into them. I'm like, oh, this is like a movie about like evangelical Christians, like getting the Holy Ghost, you know, or I thought that's what this whole movie was going to be. And I actually don't think it was. Uh, and I, I mean, uh, maybe, but it, I, I don't know what you mean by uh, what it's all going to be. But I do think that theology is an important part of it. Like uh, the me, idea I, I think that I don't know if, if I can get to like a, a central meat of it other than that, like, we're looking for markers on the road to explain the meaning of this existence and and 
religion is one of the main things that people do, but also just the amount of, like, you could look at this whole movie as rival cults. The realists are a cult. The video game industry is a cult. They're worshiping different things. Um, right. You know, the the one people are worshiping flesh. The other people are using a gun that is made of bone. They're supposedly opposites, but it's all the same fucking meat sack. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus, or, sorry, a gas is talking about art god thou art god player of the game is god god the ant artist god the mechanic funny uh, yeah. and then he's basically judas right he prays to allegra and then betrays her um oh, i yeah. think it's all over the fucking place you know even when they find the diseased uh pod it's like in a manger it's like in this random part of the factory <laughs> sitting in hay <laughs> that's so weird that's it's right it's very uh, weird yeah and it should also be pointed out um i don't know how much the religious part actually plays into it but one of the main inspirations for the for his writing this movie was uh he did an interview with salman rushdie and just the idea um of somebody writing a book that they thought was you know mostly innocent but it was is it using free speech to talk about what they will and then another group um uh theocratic extremists um being so insulted by that free speech that they uh, declare that person um, should be murdered and should so, be assassinated. Uh, I, for folks who don't know, does anybody want to give a bit brief description of what? I mean, you read the book. I haven't. Uh, so you probably. Good memory. How the fuck do you know that? Because uh, I have a copy of it that I got from you, but I haven't oh, read that's it yet. Right. <laughs> I forgot you have all my books. Um, I have not thought about this in like 20 years, but Salman Rushdie wrote a book called Midnight's Children. And because of the way it depicts Islam, uh, I thought it was a satanic verses. Yeah, it's satanic verses. Oh shit, you're right. I've only read Midnight's Children. That's oh, the one you have. Think... You made me think I'd read it because you just said okay, it. Okay, I think I got that book from you, and I, I just yeah, I got just it. assumed you're it was right. satanic verses. See, I'm yeah. not the one who should be saying this. Who's got it? <laughs> I've never uh, read satanic verses, but I, you yeah, you I, have it. I mean, uh, some cleric, some Muslim cleric, declared a fatwa on Solomon Rushdie and. Uh, he went into hiding. Fatwa and... being like, if you see him, kill him. Yeah, uh, should be noted. I watched this with my friend who has a master's in Arabic, and she always points this out when people say fatwa. The way we kind of think of fatwa in the West, um, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, is we always think of it as like a, a declaration of this person should be murdered. So I just want to clarify, that's not what fatwa means. Fatwa means it's just like a advice or ruling from an imam it doesn't oh but because we're used to that one being the one i see that's just kind of what all western people think is that it has got it and that's how it's used in the film thanks brother yeah yeah Yeah, good call i a question for y'all really quick i uh okay i watched the movie and i didn't know this thing about him getting inspired by interviewing simon rushdie but i remember watching it and seeing either in the subtitles or somewhere the word salmon s-a-l-m-a-n come up and saying out loud they spelled salmon wrong and then finding out that it was about salmon rushdie and being like oh what did i see where they used his name and watching it again and not remembering and not seeing it do you all have any idea what i'm talking about or I, am i i watch it on subtitles every single time and i can't think of what that is yeah, I don't know either. Okay, I was just curious if it was something y'all remembered. Oh, wow. But now I'm, I'm like, I, mean, I do remember that, but I don't know if I'm just making that up in my mind because I'm 
drunk and on Kratom. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. this is like, man, this is so hard to search for because <laughs> yeah, a lot of yeah. people are talking about the relation between him and the, the film, but... Well, it that's it seems like a non-point. There's so much to talk about. But sure. yeah, religious extremism, belief, cults, all feels like plays into this idea of existentialism, trying to figure out who we are, trying to figure out what the rules are, there being no right answers, conflicting answers. Well, I I, I also think one of the one of the things this movie's tackling with is um violence in video games, uh or violence in media, I guess, not just video games. Interesting. Um, I guess because he thinks Cronenberg doesn't think it's as easy as an answer as uh, some people like to think, just because he thinks that um, you know media is somewhat uh, an extension of you. What you're consuming is part of your identity, which is a creation of yourself. So therefore, it's not you're not completely detached from the violence in the media that you consume. I guess. Um, I'm probably translating the idea wrong, but, uh, um, but that I mean, makes, that makes me... me think of the moment where she, cause I hadn't thought of this angle, but like at the end when she kills Kiri and then he's like, what if this isn't a game? Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you mean? Or are there other parts of the movie that well, also like the part of the Chinese waiter where, um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I have to kill someone here. It's the Chinese waiter. Oh, that makes sense. Just enjoy it. He's like, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to enjoy it. And then, yeah. Um, I think totally. That's also all plays into it, uh, which also plays into, you know, free will and scripts we play both in game and real life. And I don't know. It's all connected. But, uh, but yeah, I'm just thinking of um, when we're talking about uh, religious extremism, you know, a lot of the uh, anti-violence in, in uh, video games uh, voices were from religious extremists. So I'm just... Sure, sure. I'm just spitballing. Spitballing. I, I'm just no, wondering. No, that makes if, sense. Uh, this is a spitball movie, dude. As well. Yeah, <laughs> this is a spitball movie. It does feel like <laughs> um, there's like a lot of things that don't necessarily like. At the end, it's like, oh, all these themes are realized, but we're just mm-hmm. like, there's just a lot of things to tug on through the through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I I want to talk about the gaming stuff since we're on gaming violence. I was tripping out so hard the first time I watched this of like, why a Chinese restaurant? Like, I just didn't get it. And now I think I have a very clear answer to that. But I'm curious if y'all have any opinions before I spoil, like, uh, throw my... Why a Chinese... Like, what like about... Like, they're at a... Why, yeah, why is it a Chinese delicious. restaurant in the woods? What'd some you say? Of best, some of the best food there is. There we go. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. And why, why a Chinese waiter? Like, he never just says a waiter. They always say a Chinese waiter, yeah. right? Yeah. There's this weird thing where everything in the game is about the game, right? Like they go in the game and where are they in a game store? And then they go in a game within a game and where are they in the factory where they make the pods? It's all the game. The game is just about the experience and existence of the product of the game. And so all of a sudden I was just like, wait, where are all these games made in 1999? Fucking Shenzhen, China at the Foxconn (laughs) factories. Holy shit, they're at the actual factory, which is in here in the movie, populated by white people, which would not be the case. But then they're like, go to the most stereotypical Chinese thing there is, the Chinese food place. <laughs> like, it all made sense to me there. And then I was like, oh, okay, that's that was my clue that Cronenberg's talking about actual video games. Like, he's not mm. just mm. using this as a metaphor for how you can get 
deep about what is existence. He's also making a commentary, like you're saying, Charlie, about the violence on our modern day technology, including video games. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought about like when they were I thought about cobalt mining and and things like that when they were and they were in that factory and just like how disgusting and gross and toxic and Mm -hmm. dangerous it is you know um i didn't think about necessarily like video game production itself even though that is literally what they were yeah talking about um but at the time like i don't know for folks who don't know like foxconn was under a lot of controversy around this time early 2000s i think late 90s for literally having like suicide nets around their that was uh, much later factories was it later i think that was much later that wasn't until like the 2010 no way i I I was in college when that that. npr i was in college when that npr story came out where it turns out they like faked some of it and stuff oh okay Um, maybe i'm sorry yeah sorry i I feel like i heard that like mid 2000s early 2000s i remember my bad i was i remember talking with you about charlie because there was like an npr story that came out and got really big where this guy was like exposing them and then it turned out he had exaggerated a bunch of it to like make the story juicier and it was like dude it's already like the most horrific thing yeah. you fucking asshole it was like my a million little pieces but for exposing what's, video game shit what's that there's like a show where this I american that, life was it that no it, it was all things can sit no it i don't was know mostly 2010 damn it what do you mean mostly 2010 that's when people started throwing themselves out of buildings at foxconn i don't know uh no. maybe i mean i guess that that could be right i don't know okay uh, i was but... living with charlie way before 2010 but i don't know maybe it's okay. possible um anyway apple had its factories there and they're clearly making fun of ipods so yeah it just i i feel like that's the gist i don't feel like there's more to say to that other than like there's a fantasy world of where this stuff comes from and like Chinese people aren't being thought about. And then we're using stereotypes of Chinese people. It's kind of interesting, but also he's clearly trying to like tie video games in these factories to environmental destruction, human rights abuses, mm. right? Like all the, them being made out of mutants is, yeah, is like so on the nose and ridiculous. Like the controllers yeah. are made out of environmental suffering instead of, Causing environmental suffering down the and, way, you know? Right. And, and the mutants, right? Don't they talk about how the mutants are caused by by our industry, right? Isn't it? Aren't the... Do they mention that the mutants are a byproduct of our industrial... I, no, I, yeah, I don't up? remember what direction it went in. Like... I don't remember either. I know they say two-headed mutant amphibian thing, sign of the times, which is funny. Uh, and there's, there's definitely like... They find the mutants and then they're like, oh, we use the mutants for this, for bioweapons, for video game controllers. And then we realize later we can use them for food. So it's tying a bunch of stuff together. But I don't remember if he said it was like from runoff or something. They called them hypoallergenic weapons, which I thought was very funny. Amazing. Uh, It it reminded me, I watched, um, I rewatched Crimes of the Future uh, a couple nights ago. And it just kind of makes... It reminds me of that because there's like a whole group of like, uh, I guess, anarcho-environmentalists who are trying to change um, the human. They're trying to uh, evolve, intentionally evolve humans into being able to eat plastic so that they can uh, <laughs> uh, co- coexist with the uh, world we've created with um, how we've fucked up the environment. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it kind of made me think of that, I guess, making 
game pods out of these mutants. Um, yeah. Which I assume have been created due to what we've done to the environment. I, I mean, <laughs> I, which, I, I th- and then in turn, the game pods become part of us and feed into us. Uh, he's, he's really big on, um, David Cronenberg believes that technology is a part of us. Um, yeah. Not just in his movies, but in general, he believes that technology is just a, a new part of humanity. That's pretty and an extension of humanity. Too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I sort of thought of the the factory as like, we're cutting out all the middle shit, you know, like yep. between mm-hmm. like there's this nasty extractive process. And then at the end of it, there's like, this thing that's shiny and clean and good and expensive. Uh, but he's like, no, the whole thing is nasty. Like that yeah. product, you know, like that iPod is, is fucking gross, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I, I think is very, very cool. Very cool. way. Yeah. I think, I think, oh man, this movie is such a good web of themes that like every time a new topic is brought up, I have to choose which strand to go down because there's <laughs> like, like, we're just going to keep circling back to things, but I think the, like, the products are bad on every level. They're bad on the mm-hmm. marketing level. They're bad on the where they come from level. They're bad on the they're part of us and we are being enraptured by, like, taken over by them. And they're bad on, like, the psychoanalytic, like, commodity or capital anti-capitalist, all of it, commodity fetishism level of, like, we're putting mm-hmm. too much into them. Like, there's so much. There's, like, literally... Uh, you're going to need these micropods to download your new identities. Like, our identity is coming from the products we're buying. They're bad on that level, right? But also, like, when, when she, when the pod gets diseased, you know, and they kill the pod, the diseased pod, and then they come out of that level of the game and, and they're like, oh my god, the disease has somehow transferred out from, like, that's not possible. And I think that disease is just like, that's what he's saying is happening. Like the disease isn't, Mm. it's not that the disease happened in this one game and it's somehow coming to this other game. It's that the disease is just their awareness of the disease. So now it doesn't matter what level of game they're in. They're aware that this is all fucking diseased and disgusting. And that like, uh, yeah. And like the disease is the fact that this commodity isn't real. The disease is the fact that it's all coming from destruction of the environment like it's the diseases that like you don't actually know if you're playing a game or not. Like it's all the things, you know. The diseases that you're going down this hole of escapism, escaping away from. Yes. I don't know the real world where you can't go skiing anymore. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, the uh, death to realism, or like, sorry, not death to realism. The uh, the victory of realism is the ski resort on fire. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so interesting. <laughs> Like skiing is too close to a touch of reality for this new world we're in. You have to be even mm-hmm. more removed than sliding down a clear cut. <laughs> <laughs> I had one. This was this was a thing. It only came up once for me, but in a movie that's like very much. A, what would you say? Watching not you're watching not porno. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought the the scene where. They're, again, they're in the, I think a lot happens when they're in that closet and they start making out and he like yeah. licks her her hole and he's like... Call it Bioport. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. That was very crude of me. Yeah. Uh, he, he licks her Bioport and he said, that wasn't me. It was my game character. It felt like someone 
like crossing a line in a BDSM scene and then just like brushing it off. Like it, like that whole thing yeah. felt like, like this is, oh, this is like a, what do they call it? A, um, um, like a broken step, like mm -hmm. figure in, in a fetish world that, that you need to be careful of or whatever. Cause he's going to do something uh, that hurts yeah. you. And well, then just, just be like, Oh, you know, we're, we're playing, you know, that's how this works. Mm. That that's part's also interesting because uh, throughout most of the movies, she's the one kind of like coercing him right. and pushing him into things that he doesn't want to do. That's like the first time he kind of like goes the other way around and he tongues her hole. And which, um, I, yeah, I think she's a terrible partner, right? She's the one yeah. who has the information and has the like know how and is inviting him to this place, and she is doing it in a very pushy non consensual way non-checking in way but keeps asking are you friendly as if like you saying no would be unfriendly which is extremely pressuring and like yeah. and the only time he starts doing it is when he starts figuring out the game right before he does that is when he's saying like she's like oh you got to be in character oh you gotta and he's like okay and then he gets his line right and he starts being cool and gets his line with darcy right and then he breaks consent right mm. i feel like this is like these things are causing rape culture. The further you go into this escapism, the further you go into this commercialization, this product shit, the more rape culture-y you're going to get, the less you're going to care about each other's consent. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a weird, touchy topic that's scary and odd to talk about in a movie about free will. Yeah, like, right. The, you know, the first thing, it, it's very alarming that the scene where you're realizing, where he discovers that his character can do things that he doesn't know, like, mean to do, is the same one where they start hooking up. And it's like, is what's real, what's not? Can someone just say that they were, like, like, is there free will? Is there not free will? If there's not free will, how can there be consent? If there's only sometimes free will, how can there be consent? And, like... It just felt very like, what are you touching here, dude? This is a well, weird <laughs> bunch of topics to be touching here, dude. Even right. in that scene where where he tongues her hole and uh, the bio, it's called a bioport, bio Charlie. Bioport, <laughs> um, and she she's like, what the fuck? Then isn't she immediately like, well, <laughs> oh, that makes sense for our characters to do because uh, they wants to create intimacy between us. Um, yeah. and then she's into it, but then it's like, well, are you? actually into it or are you just doing it because you and, think that's the role that you're supposed to be playing and, um oops, sorry. yeah uh you can go first I, I was gonna say this is that like um being for itself and being in itself distinction that i was sort of talking about earlier yeah. is like are they do they think they're characters and playing like just playing the role of characters as they think they're supposed to be. Are they actually characters? Are they like fully that? Are they fully not uh, being for themselves? Like uh, conscious beings? Like there's there's this like very weird. Um, there's this very uh, they're they're in the the limit bit or they're in between two limits. Is sort of how it feels to me. Uh, yeah. but, but the movie doesn't really give you any clues as to like 
where they where they fall and so it's all just kind of a little icky but then also we re- we find out at the end that in possibly real life that they're actually a couple so then so then you're like well maybe they're just having fun the entire time with each other and but the maybe's the whole thing right like the yeah. answer to your question uh barto i think of like or not question but like it doesn't give us any clues it's like they give us the full clue by making the ending ambiguous of it's a kind of a cop out. It's one of the things about the film that I'm like, it's not, it's both good and bad that like, we can't know. They can't know. I can't know if the things I desire are me being in itself or being for itself. I can't know if I'm desiring the things I desire because a commercial told me to, and it's in my brain or because I really want it. You, Those are things are the same now, right? Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not distinguishable. And like, there's a really cool aspect of this movie that's like showing that PR and marketing are taking over the ideas of liberation from this exit. Like you want to be liberated from the existential nightmare that's existence, but the answer to that is fed to you as more products. Like mm-hmm. Allegra says, this is it. You see, this is a cage of your own making, which keeps you trapped and pa- pacing about in the smallest possible space forever. Break out of your cage, Pykele. What's she telling him to do? Install a port in his body to play video games. Yeah. No, <laughs> like, I mean it's it's like a it's like a and they're called slave pods. <laughs> right. It, I mean it's a uh, it's a beer commercial. It's like those yes. are exactly how those operate. You know the same thing. In Mormon's commentary, she says, "Industries selling us our own means of destruction and feeding our death drive." And but m- marketing it as liberation and yes. life, yes, right? Yes. Yes. And, it, or she goes in a lot to talk about how uh, Allegra's, or Cronenberg goes into it a lot and talks about how Allegra's a seducer, uh, telling uh, Jude Law that she's she's gonna, uh, you know, free him and liberate his bot, liberate him from his body and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, sex sells. Yeah, I I also like. There's a lot of psychoanalysis in this and a lot of Freud stuff and the the role of antenna or whatever cortical whatever they are the video game companies is to keep you dreaming it's it reminds me of like the unconscious when you're asleep according to freud is trying to integrate sounds and things into experiences to to keep you dreaming right you hear an alarm clock your brain turns it into something happening in a dream to keep you dreaming right and in the game they want to keep you gaming Mm -hmm. and so like he is like, I'm very worried about our body, our real bodies. What if they're hungry? What if they're in danger? I feel really vulnerable. And she's trying to explain to him, like, don't worry about your body. We don't want you worrying about your body. We want you inside the product. We want you to keep playing. Just like Twitter wants me to, and YouTube wants me to keep clicking. And then when he finally is like, no, and he resists it, the real world doesn't feel real anymore. Like, it's all part of enslaving you to this thing that is like, no, existence sucks. Get deeper by just yeah. buying this thing. Yeah. Uh, Mormon talks a lot about, uh, she makes kind of Marxism connections. And yeah, she talks about, you know, we spend half our lives fucking laboring. All we want to do when we're done laboring is... uh escape and so that's where yeah media comes in as a way of controlling us and uh uh so we can buy into it pay for it to just escape until we have to go back to work and that's why we need to talk when we go to the movie theaters uh, <laughs> but uh uh but yeah i mean this the 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 
I mean, work is like a really big labor is like a really big mm. part of this movie. There's mm. always like every scene, essentially, there's yeah. like labor and people creating things. I mean, even in the game, that's what's like yes. kind of strange about this this game to me is it's 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 like too real in that like he you know you're in a video game store and there's people you know buying there's commerce happening then you you are in a factory and then you're you're working on a line and then you're in a chinese restaurant and someone in that room is just being a waiter in a chinese restaurant and you're there on your break and yeah uh, They're selling you shittier versions of your own existence as an escape from existence. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so uh, fucking gnarly. There, there's that uh there's that uh Simpsons joke, uh late nineties or, or in mid nineties somewhere where they 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 go to some convention and uh the kids were didn't want to do lawn work at home and but they go and they play the virtual lawn work <laughs> yes. simulator yeah. you know i mean there's a uh, game called um hold on where car. is it say it again hit by a car yeah there's a game called <laughs> hit by a yeah. car yeah. like yeah <laughs> yes yes yeah, uh, mormon also brings up uh also you know ted peichel he's like a marketing guy like none of this shit is in his job description this is essentially He's being exploited by his boss, Allegra, um, into doing all this shit that he's mm. uh, not being paid to do, really. <laughs> and she's, in that case, she's using her power. It's like, it, what's the word I'm making for it? It's not sexual assault, but I mean, kind of is like she's using her power to seduce him while she's forcing him into It's like not okay. I didn't think no, of her yeah, as a boss. No. That's such an interesting twist. I, yeah. I kept- I mean, yeah. that for the first, the whole first like half of this movie, I was just like, I had this like, why are you doing this? Like, what? Yeah. Like, I, I get, uh, and the other, okay, which sort of relates. Did you guys think about drugs while you were watching this movie? I thought about drugs a, bit, yeah. a lot. Yeah. You know, that scene where he's like, I I'm worried about, about my body Viagra. was like a very relatable thing of like, you know, not that I'm like flying around in DMT land, but like when I'm. I've taken a lot of hallucinogens where I'm like, I, I'm worried about totally what exists outside of this, this haze mm. and I well, can't and access plugging it. Into the disease pod is very much like fucking, uh, um, what's the word on uh, the movie I'm a thinking of. The, oh. oh, well, I, I, like where you're like, uh, God, what's the movie? Hot shots. No, the heroin <laughs> movie Requiem for a dream where he's like shooting into his diseased arm. Like you got to do yeah. it anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Not yeah. that, like, yeah, or people shooting but, into their toes because they're out of spots. Like, you got to keep going. But, oh, shooting into your dick. But yeah, yeah like, to, anyway. <laughs> again, this like it's called a it's called a bioport. There's this there's this you know person who's your authority figure who's like, I'm taking this stuff. I you know I like taking this stuff. Why don't you take this stuff? You don't even have the way to take this stuff. And he's like, Oh, I'm curious about it. You know, I want to yeah. take. You know, and totally good. you know, yeah. I think about it, and like he's like, I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna find you. We're gonna go out right now. I'm gonna, you know, you're gonna get fucking stoned too. It's gonna be fucking awesome. And then you know, I don't know. That was just yeah. Their whole relationship is so fucked up, and I, mm-hmm. I couldn't in my i I knew there was some other motivation for him that like we weren't seeing because it 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 almost felt like the the class dynamic between them wasn't enough to make him 
do the things they were doing, but maybe there was, maybe that was like all it needed. I mean, this is, this is really helpful to me. Cause one thing I was thinking of, I think there's a lot about this movie about like sexual intimacy and us needing, there was something I was thinking of from the angle as like us needing fake reality in order to be more in touch with ourselves. Like she, he's like, why don't you just call me Ted? And she's like, maybe after, and they hook up in the video game. And then when they come out, they want to hook up in real, she wants to hook up in real life. It's like, I thought of that as her needing this escape to be in touch with her feelings. But from your angle, the drug thing, it's almost like a power move, right? Like, oh, maybe I'll, he's like, hey, I just really want to be accepted by you. I guess I'll do the bioport. Can you at least call me Ted? And she's like, maybe after you take this ecstasy with me, I'll call you Ted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, but I think your thing, that also works. Like this, oh, yeah. like, there's no like, you know. Um, oh, it's uh, layered. It's the uh, the Lacan thing is there's there is no sexual relation, you know, like that. There's always there's always like something between people having sex that makes the sex actually happen and take place. Like there's a phantasmatic screen or whatever. And and this movie was really stressing that that point a lot. I mean, that brings me to my big feeling about this movie that I think is the center of this movie. And I think the center of this movie is like, whether it's we're motivated by religion, by technology and escapism, or like sex or procreation, it's all us being confused and having desires and not knowing what they are. And like the psychoanalytic idea from like Lacan I, I don't know exactly who it's from but like people who like Lacan and shit will talk about this a lot it's just like desire is just desire for desire right you yeah. desire to desire there's no you're never gonna get your desire you're gonna have a new desire you're just you don't want to fuck you want something and you're fucking and then you want something else right and I feel like that's the center of this movie like they, there's a reason that the sexual organs and the procreation are the same. They're removing the screen that divides them because it's all just desire. It's all just what's enjoyment going into a game to do the exact same thing you were already doing to then go into another. Like the game is all meta. It's a game where you go into a game to go into a game. The whole point of the game is to go into a game to go into a game. Like there's no game. The game is just going into a game. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just desire for yes. desire for desire. Makes me think of a Purple Mountain lyric, um, Purple Mountains lyric, uh, and the end of all wanting is all I've been wanting. Totally. Yeah. And there's the uh, that's the unattainable. And like, they desire a micropod, and as soon as they get the micropod, they fuck. Because... <laughs> The desire is just desire and it's all yeah, the yeah. same. You're horny for the product and the product is horniness. Like it's well, all the same shit. And I mean, and, and every single thing that happens is none of it is no one at any point is like, wow, that was great. Like there's nope. no, yeah. uh, there's no point ever where they're like, like, oh, my desire is fulfilled, which is, you know, like a, a problem with being human to a certain extent. Yeah. But like, mm. but like. You know, most of us on like a certain level, like we we like sit down, we watch a TV program, we like we laugh, we have fun, and it's like, oh, I'm glad I did that. But they, there's not even that. That doesn't even occur at any point in this. You know, it's always just like like next move, next move, yep. keep come, keep coming, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah uh, that scene we we're just talking about, where where she's like, oh, this makes sense that so we can have an. In, we can have an intimate moment where um, 
So our characters oh, to raise are, the stakes more, more, or to yeah, build to raise tension the stakes or whatever. The closet scene we that, keep bringing up. Yeah, that always makes me think of um, earlier in the movie when they're driving away from the when she's first shot with a tooth gun, and then she's like, "Pull over," and he goes, "Why?" And she goes, "So we can have an intimate moment." Yes. Um, yes. I, I always and feel like those penetration. are penetration. It's a knife yeah. into her gaping wound. It's more sex. Yeah, it's it's another yeah. Um, although this one is. It kind of has more of a need, a physical need to it, but but yes, it's it is still penetration. Um, totally. Uh, but then, even after both of them, both those things happen, I still don't feel like their characters are any particularly closer. I guess no, <laughs> it doesn't oh, really right. feel like those intimate moments did much. <laughs> Good call. No, not at any point. They don't like. There's no, I mean, there's like these little moments where like, you know, when, when Jude Law first sees her in the factory uh, and starts talking to her and he kind of like relaxes a little bit. And it's like the first time in the movie that he's like relaxed at all when he's, he's kind of like leaning on the cart that he's pushing. Yeah. And then he's talking to her and, but he says the wrong things. And so she doesn't, yes. she doesn't get back. Yeah. And, and, but that's the only, to for my money, that's the only mo- moment in the movie where like, oh, we're going to like, let's just like talk to each other like real people. Mm-hmm. And, and and it doesn't work. It just like completely fails uh, to like interact on like uh, a level without, you know, this sort of uh, screen in in between them that that is making progress move forward, I guess. Yeah. And we should be clear. These are the sexiest the two people that have ever been. In this movie, they're at peak sexiness. The absolute sexiest of humanity is these two characters. But they maybe don't do that's... it for me. But I'm I'm glad they yeah. They're both so insanely hot I think in this movie. Beautiful, yeah, yeah. Beautiful people. It's great. I'm and I'm right there. I'm not with saying you, they're not beautiful. I just I'm not going to go as far as you, Charlie. But I'm no, glad no, it worked for you. I remember thinking that when I first saw it. In fact, I I think I I texted my girlfriend at the time. Um, I remember texting her like, "This is like the two sexiest you cut your hair like people this, I've or? ever been." <laughs> uh, what? But uh, maybe that's why they they they're not even fully into each other because they just know how sexy they themselves are. I I think one of the interesting things like this movie's all about like perform. It's all this fake mm. versions of real shit, right? So like. They think that this penetrative act will bring them closer together and be intimate, but the world's just a bunch of meaningless penetrative acts that because desire is desire is desire, right? Like she's porting into everybody on stage. Uh, he's getting penetrated by fucking gas in the in, with a huge ass dick device into his ass. <laughs> like there's one of the bioport things is a bomb to blow him up. Like penetration isn't. Like, sex isn't anything. It's all, like, it's kind of just showing that we're just going through these motions of desire and not actually, like, st- I don't I don't know what the movie wants us to be doing, but having the kind of intimate moments that would actually build some kind of trust or relationship. I mean, one uh, of the, early on, I, I was thinking about how it strikes me, you know, they describe uh, Allegra, she, she says, oh, I mostly stay home don't go out i work on my games and and it struck me the other guy says that about her but yeah 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 yeah. but it it struck me that uh an artist who stays home alone would come up with all these completely alien characters like very (laughs) cronenbergian characters who who are 
like desperately trying to find some sort of connection to each other and failing over and over and over and over again. I definitely I agree. I also took that line as being about masturbation. Like, hmm. this is a sex game, and she usually does it alone in her room, so it's kind of awkward for her to be doing it on a stage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I also fully agree with your, no, I think your you're read right. on it. I mean, but uh, those those don't come in conflict at all. No, no, know. no. That's This movie is beautifully layered. He did a great job with that. Like, there's a lot... Everything's connecting in interesting ways to... Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he talks a lot in the commentary about uh, how much of life is just performance. And uh, he believes pretty much that reality itself is... I mean, he talks about how he he believes when you wake up in the morning, you recreate your own reality. You take a minute in your head to put together what your reality is and who you are in that reality. And you go out and you perform who you are. Uh, as a means to how you um, view your reality, even and there is no static reality. Everyone's own perspective is different of of what reality is and what their performance and role in it is. Uh, and, and everybody's isn't static for themselves either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, he he brings up like you know you go on a vacation to another country you've never been with, no one you've ever met, and you have to completely recreate who you are to these people who have no context of who you are. Um, sure. Yeah. And it's just all about performance, I guess. Performance and um, the realities that we create for ourselves within these realities that uh, we're also forced to, to match our realities with, right? These these overall systems that we have to to engage with as a part of our lives. Um and, that and we how don't much have control over are we waking up and deciding to do because that's we're uh being in itself or being for itself like how much of it is free will and how much of it is just a reflexive thing and how much of it is ingrained from other people's recreations you know mm -hmm. i think yeah. one of the most telling but i don't know exactly what it tells but it it speaks to that parts of the movie to me is allegra's relationship with her gaming device like she calls it a her all the time. So weird. And when it starts dying early in the movie, her response is as if it's a living being and she cares so much. It's like, it'll die. I care about this thing. But then when it does die, doesn't she doesn't bring up how she's sad it's gone. She's like, she only thinks of it as like a crystallization of her labor worth X amount of millions of dollars. And that's the only thing that gave my life meaning. Like, this is now her identity. And I don't think she was lying at one point or another. I think that she's falling into different performances that are both partially true and that we don't know what mm -hmm. our desires and drives are. And she doesn't know why she loves this thing. It's commodity fetishism, but it ties into all the things that we're talking about, you know? Yeah. There's even a little bit more meaning to that if uh, you factor in. Um, so according to the, the, the visual effects guy in his commentary, he's talking about how when they created the pods, they're supposed to be creating like an actual living character they're supposed to, is supposed to be view it as an actual character and um uh i think they even had yeah he said jennifer jason lee like took one of the pods home for like a few weeks so that she could feel like a connection to it i guess in mm. some way so uh hell yeah th that even throws another kind of little layer to it yeah. um I mean and david cronenberg also talks about how all the th 
things in the movie, even if they aren't living, there's still um, an animus to it. There's still a will to it. Uh, specifically, he brings up the, the gun that's... Um, when it's chopped by the, the Chinese waiter, it starts bleeding, as in... Um, that's because everything in this world has a will to itself, even if it's just a, a gun. Uh, totally. But, but yeah, so I... I the, like the Flintstones. The game pod was... Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know where I'm going with that. Uh, totally. I think, Barta, you had something. Again, that's like... It's such like a weird thought. That was like one of the first things... One of the early things I wrote down is like, oh, the pod is like... Has a subjective status, which yeah. is weird mm-hmm. because all these other people don't necessarily, you know, again, and people like we think of co- as real humans. Yes. We just see as like they just use the rote lines to get them through the through the game. And uh, the, the, the living creatures that are opened up and added together to become the pod don't have subjective status either. Right. They're just mm-hmm. tortured. She doesn't care about them. But no. once they're assembled into a commodity, she cares about them. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They don't even. They see that amphibian that's been following them uh, with two heads, the, the amphibian with two heads. It's been following them like across this country. It followed them into the game world. And um, and then it's part of their Chinese meal. And they, they, they like notice it, but they don't care at all. And they eat it and turn it into a gun. I, I felt like they cared a little, but in a they were just grossed out. Yeah, and you're right. They didn't yeah. even notice. And I didn't even notice that it, it follows them into the game. But yeah, I think that's an added layer from what I was thinking, Barto, of like, yeah, it's not just the animals she doesn't care about. It's like all the people around them. The product has more subjectivity and and yeah. And, and not just to her, like to us yeah. as the yeah. as mm-hmm. the audience, you know, like like w- the character who gets the most like emotional support from people around it is the sick pod, uh, <laughs> you know, like by far. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Allegra is like second. You know, because there's other people who are like more or less concerned with her well-being, but like hey, they put thirty-eight million dollars into that thing. Well, <laughs> and betcha. that's just it. Is is she's a product too? You know, at, yeah. at the same mm-hmm. time, like you know, and and I I do think there's there's something to this, like like oh this is oh this is like a universe of commodities, and like the you know like we can see the the value in these things that have like investment put in money and investment put into it and everything else is just everything else and we're we're just moving around to to make sure these these things happen i thinking about the like this might be slightly off but like the um the mutants again like not mattering and just being weird animals like the it's like that's supposed to be an exaggeration of our world, but like, and they're like grossed out by it, but they're not, it's not that far off from the world they're in before. Like, uh, mm-hmm. what's his name? Fucking Jude Law, who's, uh, Ted Peichel. He's Peichel. like, yeah, he's like, using mutated animal organs and nervous systems for game pods parts is certainly feasible, but everything is so dirty, absurd, grotesque. Like, the only difference between where we are now and like the technological future we're heading toward, the only re- reason that we couldn't get there is the factory's too dirty. Like we're clearly yeah. headed there is what they're saying. And I think all of the dehumanization and the like not caring about the environment that we're seeing before that is making that. Oh, yeah, totally. Who cares? We'll just put animals on fucking uh, into game controllers or whatever. 
but at the, but at the same time, it like very much I, it makes me think of like uh, like you know chickens that become oh yeah you know uh, that are giant or turkeys that are enormous and and couldn't like walk mm-hmm. around and move if you were yes. to let them free you know like like we do have all these fucking mutant animals that are are created in these like very dirty gross places that you know yeah. like yeah. Even even like the egg industry looks just like that shit, right? Like they're literally yes. yeah, yeah. have chicks on conveyor belts that all of the males are just thrown on a conveyor belt into a grinder and it looks exactly like that shit. But and is that is a, you know, you don't think about it that way, but that is a technology, you know, and, yeah. and the, yeah. a chicken totally. is a piece of technology at, to a certain totally. extent. Totally. And once again, all technology is an extension of us. And so. if if we had put a bunch of time and energy into a single chicken we would be devastated when it died and part of us would tell ourselves it's because we're compassionate and care about the living force of that chicken when we didn't mm-hmm. care about the tens of millions of chickens dying around it right, right. because our shit wasn't in it wasn't commodified it yeah. wasn't part of our identity yes yeah so what about them holes <laughs> oh yeah we uh, don't touch gender at all <laughs> <laughs> True. I think yeah, we did what, a little bit. Uh, did we? I don't know. I mean, everybody has a butthole. Am I right, folks? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, it's interesting how she's the older one. That's the... Uh, <laughs> we um, both turn out to hold our heads the same way. What do you why? say? Because <laughs> I'm bringing that up? I should what, what, just expand on why that. Why <laughs> is that interesting? What do you mean? I don't know. He brought up we haven't talked about gender roles, so I'm bringing up... A, because usually it's an older man and a younger woman, oh, so okay. it's mm. interesting that it's the inverse of that. <laughs> is Just she like, a lot it's older? It's interesting that what is she a lot older? I think she's like over ten years older. Oh, huh? Why? Okay. Or I mean, the actor, actor. I mean, the age of their actors, at least. I don't think they say the age of oh, their characters. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, I thought they were like. I know this maybe a weird word. I I assume what they're they're feminizing jude law when they when they um g- give him a a new pole and uh when they sodomize him when they sodomize him i i assume there yeah there's like i don't even know if they're like necessarily when, uh, taking away his masculinity in quite mm. that way but i i think they're playing with that idea right i mean yeah cronenberg says uh um yeah i mean it's intentional that willem dafoe is uh putting a hole in into Jude Law's back while Jude Law's bent over, you know, but that a chair doesn't mean they're feminine. Like, obviously, it's sexual, but are they feminine? I don't know. I oh, thought are of they it feminizing as... him. I mean, but then, then they also have uh, her like stroking his hole throughout the whole thing, and um, sure, like I, that definitely seems to be. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, guess I don't know. That's necessarily feminizing, but it's definitely switching the roles, the, the typical gender roles. Sure, right. sure. And, and I guess that's sort of how I'm thinking about it is, is I mean, she's um, taking her penis that is mm-hmm. the, the, her pod that is sort of an extension of her and yeah, and, and putting, it, in putting him. it inside him and, you know, and there is a power, you know, the, the you know, like just what Charlie said, there is like she has this power over him that is usually not typical of a, at least Hollywood film. Um, totally. And, you know, there's I, even like in the scene where he's picking, cause those pods are so like phallic and, and fleshy that like when they're in the game store 
and she's all confident, feeling pretty good there. And he's kind of like, huh, look at this thing over there. It's very reminiscent of like, you know, like she's in a sex sto- yeah. toy store that like her friends work there and mm-hmm. shit. And he's all nervous and just never even been in one of these. Like it felt very, <laughs> which is like an emasculating. It's like, yeah, I think a very probably common thing, but it's very, it like opens up a window to emasculation or something. Right. Yeah, I mean, even just in a more general sense, usually, you know, media movies show us that the men know the way and know about everything yeah. and that they, sh- and just, I mean, not even just in sexual in a uh, way. And then in this, like, she's the one who's knowledge about everything and, and, uh, leads him and tells him how everything is, uh, definitely flips, uh, the usual, um, perspective we're given in, in movies. I feel like I really like that example because in my experience men seem more nervous in sex shops so it is actually flipped (laughs) in real life in some ways but i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm projecting on myself and it's just me Uh, (laughs) (laughs) no i think you're you're probably right there um also if y'all i don't know if y'all have seen uh i feel like what i'm flashing back to is um fleabag have y'all seen fleabag super good show but oh i heard it's great is that it's the one incredible. based on a one-woman play or something like that? I don't know. It's uh, um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge wrote and yeah. made it. It's yeah, yeah. it's amazing. It's one of the best shows ever. Go watch it. But yeah, there's a scene where she's dating a guy and they go to a store and he like can't help but play around and she's like d- like embarrassed by him. And anyway, <laughs> that might be what I'm thinking too. Um, real quick, sorry, it's slightly off topic. I meant to bring this up, but since we were talking about him being bent over and gas giving him that thing... I just have to say I loved when, um, uh, you know, I mentioned the line, that's a cage of your own making. Uh, it keeps you pacing around in the smallest possible space forever, break free. And then they give it to him and his legs go numb. And it's so on the nose. It's like now he can't even pace. <laughs> like they're saying he's trapped because he's pacing in like a tiny corridor. Now he can't even walk. Like the movie's just hitting us over the head with this isn't actually escape and freedom. You're actually more trapped now. Well, um, that... that- that also can play into um, uh, feminizing because uh, um, he specifically says that his legs go numb because it's an epidural, like when you're pregnant. Nice. Right. Yes. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed. Thank you for making that relevant, Charlie. Uh, <laughs> 100%. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I didn't think of specific gender like that. I just thought of this movie as being very like uh, playing with the gender doesn't seem to matter most of the time in this movie, right? Like there's no sex scene mm-hmm. between them where he penetrates her or something. It's all a switching of sensations. Well, the game pads, his, his tongue. Sure. But I but, mean like yeah. hit with his dick. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They're all, they're penetrating each other. There's like uh, the game pads are so weird. They're like clits, but they could also be like balls or a dick or whatever. Yeah. Like they're everything. Uh, I think Cronenberg at one point, he's referred to it as neo sex. Um, which once again plays on the crimes, crimes of the future, where uh, Twilight Lady is says like surgery is the new sex, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Neo sex <laughs> also plays into the Matrix, which came out the same year. It did. <laughs> uh, that also plays with reality, right? And VR, oh yeah, there which... might be some similarities. Oh my god! Huh. Have you all heard of the movie? I think it's called Thirteenth Floor. Yes. The, the essay, one of the essays I read, um, it talks about all three of those movies because they all came out the same year. Yeah, that's why, that's the other one I hear of as the, like, reality isn't real layered 1999 film. 
Yeah, I've not seen it. Um, it's not supposed to be as good as The Matrix or Existence, but I'm interested in seeing it. Todd McGowan from the Why Theory podcast fucking loves and recommends 13th Floor. That's the only oh, reason I know of it. Interesting. Um, whew, we've covered a lot, folks. We have. I still feel like there's so much more we, we could potentially, obviously, we aren't talk about. Sure. I, I want to, um, we already covered this topic, but I want to give some, uh, some credit where it's due to the guy I mentioned, Anton Battelle. Uh, he just had a quote I liked that touches a lot of the stuff we've talked to, if I can read it real quick. Please. Mm-hmm. Ted's confusion, his occasional delusions of grandeur, his inexplicable and irresistible urges, his paradoxical desires both to stop and to continue, or as Allegra puts it, to see what's so special about the special, his not always happy surrender of control to a system or higher authority that he never quite comprehends, these are recognizable parts of the human condition, as Cronenberg captures us all as needy, frightened, horny, compulsive beings in search of escapist, transcendent experience that always lies just beyond our grasp. And I feel like that fucking nails a lot of the things we've talked about where, you know, we don't know where we are or why we've been here, why we're here. We don't know. We have drives that are competing that we don't know what they are. And we don't know why we want what we want or if we're being ourselves or being ourselves trying to be something else. Mm-hmm. And the like... I think this movie plays on existentialism, but I don't think it has the same takeaway as my limited understanding of existentialism of like, oh, so we just have to make our own reality and then we can't. I think he's like, it's way more complex. We can't make, we don't know if we're making it. We don't know if someone else is making it. And it just feels actually like a really good job of a movie of showing how complicated and weird and unanswerable it is to be human. I I mean, I was, what I kept thinking about while you were reading that is how one of the things about Sartre is the unconscious is not part of his system. In fact, he like does he not believe, believe it. That, yeah. that the unconscious is real. And this movie definitely does. You know, this yes. movie is like, there's actually like all these things, like you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, which is like the basic premise of the unconscious. Totally. And, and uh, but it is also asking a lot of the questions that the existentialists are concerned about which is cool yeah that's like what great things to marry together and i mean right ever since the existentialists we're not escaping those questions like those questions are the questions it's just their answers Mm -hmm. are too easy and like like i'm not gonna fucking imagine sisyphus happy cool like what are you talking about (laughs) like i can't i don't get to decide that like i don't decide when i'm happy or not like what are you talking about and this movie is more uh by being obsessed with flesh and bone is more like come on get real we can't these abstract ideas aren't going to get us out of the fleshy weirdness we're part of or the societal corporate weirdness we're part of any of it the religious weirdness we're part of right what is um I do, before we go to Stefan, I know uh, y'all might have some things to throw out. Uh, I I do want to end, or maybe not end, but I don't know what to talk about with this. I just, I love so much of this movie. It gets me so excited, but the ending it makes me so, ups- like, not upset, but it's, I don't know if you can end a movie like this well, but I don't like this ending. And I don't <laughs> Apparently, know. Apparently, I don't think this would make a difference. Uh, I think you're going deeper than this, um, but apparently the original ending, uh, the Chinese waiter got shot. Uh, they shot him, um, or the actor playing the Chinese oh, waiter. Uh, but then audiences hated that, so uh, he took that out. <laughs> that's kind of better, though, right? Because that's playing in... No, that's... I mean, it's defeat. It's an answer. We don't have free will. 
<laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really like the ending yeah. of this either. I felt like that was what was going to happen. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. I, I mean, as soon as the, the, I mean, I was, I had, I was about two minds when the two headed lizard first showed up. Um, one is like, oh, we are like way in the future. Cause one of my very first mm. notes is like, there are a lot of boomers playing video games and that's pretty wild. But, <laughs> uh, and then I'm like, oh, we're way in the future. Yeah. We're like, so we're like, my friend I watched with, like, as soon as we started, she's like, why are these fucking, uh, old people at this video game type yeah. thing. I was just like, Cronenberg must know nothing about video games if this is the audience he's putting here, but all those are good answers. And, but but then and when the thing showed up, I'm like, oh, like, there's something, like, messy here about reality, and, like, we're we're not in quite the safe yeah. zone that we think we are at the at the country gas station, you know? And, um, and so I'm like, okay, there's, like, another layer here that we're just not seeing, and I was, which is fine, it doesn't, like, ruin anything that, like, this is, that I figured that this is probably a game, too, but, yeah, it just, I don't know, it felt like it made the rest of the movie muddled by, yeah, by saying, like, we don't know actually where we are. I mean, it, it, it I get that it says, like, I mean, it's it's also saying like what we were just saying. We have all these drives. We don't know where they come from. You know, like yeah. are we in a game? You know, yeah. like But also, like yeah, like I I get. I think a lot of the things that we enjoy about this movie would actually be ruined if we knew the answers. Like not knowing yeah. the answers is part of it. So that's kind of a cool theme, but it's also a cop out. So it's hard. I I wish that he would have part. I think it would have been better if Jude Law said. I think we might be in a game way earlier because then at least we're he's aware when we're aware. And then it's yeah. like, oh, you're not supposed to be guessing. He just told you it's about something else. But instead, you're like when he says it, you're like, dude, we've known that for 45 minutes. <laughs> like, it just feels cheap or so, like or like like they were trying to trick us and they couldn't, which isn't I don't know. It kind of ruins the ride for me. Yeah, but I, I, it, it makes you go, duh. Yeah. Right. And it kind of would have been a brave move if, like, at the fucking gas station, he was mm -hmm. like, am I in a video game? Like, then it would be, like, kind of almost a bold movie, like a bold way to do it. Um, But, Charlie, your point about them being desensitized from violence and him critiquing that, I do like that about the ending of the people watching, like, this murder go down and they're all just sitting there watching. But then again, yeah. that's kind of ruined by the fact that it's like, or oh, are they sitting there watching because they're non-game characters? Right. You know? Like, then, okay, is there a thing about violence? Or am I just watching a bunch of weird video games that somebody programmed bad? It's just kind of <laughs> weird. Well, and, and again, this comes down to, like, David Cronenberg, all of his people are such fucking aliens that, like, yeah. I have no idea, you know? Like, yeah. what does David Cronenberg actually think the world is like? Because <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea. Well, yeah, I mean, I also think a lot of it is he doesn't know the answers to these questions. He's questioning them himself, and this is just him exploring that question. Because um, yeah. I, I think when he, he was in the commentary, if I remember correctly, about, like, talking about, like, violence in media, it's like he doesn't know exactly what the answer is but he thinks it's a more complex question of you think um if you're more critical about like what you're watching what you're consuming and why you're consuming it then he thinks the answer should be and, and that's more of an extension of who you are then the answer should be deeper than just a, a immediate blanket like yes or no does it matter that i consume violent media? sure 
I I also feel like the like on a political level, it's a little not cowardly, but like the realists are like okay, the people who make the video games are fucked up and the, they're destroying the environment and they're like distorting our reality. But the people who think that and want to kill them are also extremists. It's a mm-hmm. very like just. There's nothing we can do. Don't go out and try to change the world because yes. we're all just lost. And everybody who tries to change the world is a fanatic. Um, and that just kind of boring and a yeah. little sad and like, dude, look around. Maybe you could do a little better. Yeah, I, it's like a it's a move that I don't see. You know, I've been trying to think of things and like not what a movie should have done, but like, why did the movie make the move that I don't like? And, but I don't know why it makes the move where it just says, Oh, it's all fucked. And we, you know, like, you know, it's the, the sort of like, it's the, the South park thesis is sort of how I think of that, that like, uh, like giving a shit about something like makes you crazy and, and bad. Well, and by making escapism, he's actually picking the side of the gaming industry. Right. (laughs) Right, and that, uh, yeah. that's sort of how I I land on this too. Is like uh, these the guys who just like uh, are like chasing this this desire are are the ones are the sensible ones in this in this universe. Mm. I mean, I think it just also him grasping with himself and who he is sure. as an artist and his own art, um, and what his art means and does. Yes, is he a gamer? Yeah. Um, I mean. I mean, part of the whole thing with the Salman Rushdie being an inspiration was he was so intrigued by the idea that your art can come back and harm you in such an extreme way. Yeah, totally. Hmm. And I do. I, that's kind of what I feel is like he's sitting. There's something in the movie where it feels like he's sitting from the position of the person who's at risk from the fanatic anti from the realists. Mm-hmm. Um and that makes his depiction of them m- somehow more of a like the realist underground feel more like a stereotype and less tethered to reality than the video game industry which actually like yeah. even though it's grotesque and weird and based on mutants and shit it all clicks and feels right but the reali- but the fanatics i'm like who is this supposed to be like i don't mm. know it yeah yeah, they're they're sort of like a I don't know they they're like a ja- jagged edges the whole way. There's no like yeah. There's no thing. There's no like entrance for you to be like oh they have a point. Um, yeah. Even though throughout the whole movie they're telling you like this is also <laughs> fucked up. They're hammering at you yeah. over the head, hitting you over the head with like this is a problem. But yeah. And if you're gonna critique both, maybe go a little farther in like. Like, he kind of does some things to make it seem like they're all the same, not the same, like, uh, ethically, but the same literal organization, right? There's all the double agents. (laughs) Nobody knows whose side they're on. So go farther. Make it where they're litter. Like, if you're going to not take a position and you're going to say they're all fanatical, have them literally not know if they're the underground or the gaming (laughs) industry. That's at least more fun. I don't know. Just a little farther. Um, But I guess... That is what happens, right? Our yeah, main characters, <laughs> they don't know. They're assassins, but are they still just in a game? We don't know. Are they killing the game yeah. or are they playing the game? But I think the hardest pill for me to swallow in this, uh, maybe that's the wrong phrase, I just don't get why these assassins are playing the game. They're like, we mm-hmm. had to make sure, now that we've played the game, we've established that you're the 
worst deformer of reality uh or the most effective deforming of reality is at your hands because you're the best so now we got to kill you and i just don't mm. buy it like just and, go k- kill him if you don't like what he's doing i don't know and then uh Cronenberg points out in his commentary that 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 makes nourish the first ever video game designer martyr but but also then if you think about the word martyr then that would just their goal of killing him ultimately would backfire because then the martyr would just inspire more uh sure um, but you know that's just more about the cycle of violence and whatever i don't know yeah i mean i i do get that like in the same way as everyone else they are them in the real world or whatever you know the the last stage that we see sure they're also still like unsatisfied desiring beings who are like like yeah maybe you know he's saying that they just played the game to see how bad it was but in the same sense that through this whole movie they're like i don't really you know jude law the whole time is like yeah i don't game i've never really done it but i kind of want to do it and you know like they they played the you know i sort of read it as like they played the game because like they wanted to do it you know they're they're unsatisfied and and killing this person yeah. won't be satisfying really yeah um and- they, they're killing their own they're trying to kill their own desire to play a game that shouldn't exist yes. and they can't yeah. um totally and i do like that he very very strongly not only highlights that an unconscious exists but highlights these characters specifically allegra's consciousness of their unconscious affecting the game like allegra is on stage and says, uh, where's the line? Hold on. Oh, um, oh yeah, uh, Nourish, you, you must have picked up on my desire to be like you because she mm-hmm. knows that her unconscious revealed her desire to kill him. Right, uh, yeah. But also maybe her desire to be like him because we all desire the things we don't, even that she's ashamed of her desire. So like, it's very much like, that line doesn't mean anything, and then you find out she's the assassin, and if you go back to that line, it's like, oh, shit, she's worried she's caught because of what her unconscious revealed. Right. Very not Sartian. No. Yep. I, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> Very not Sartorian. Sartorian. Uh, do y'all have any other little nuggets you want to bring up before we go to wrapping up? Um, the, uh, the meat of the fish in the Chinese restaurant. You guys know? Can you guess what it was? Mm, no, no. They had to film the scene like seven times. Um, the meat was a microwaved Chinese eggplant that was connected to the bones via gelatin. Because Jude Law is vegetarian, so they had oh. to come up with something vegetarian. They're eating Chinese, and they're like, oh, this eggplant is perfect. Mm. Um, yep, pretty cool. The uh, the bone gun was made out of um. A dinosaur model kit. Uh, Very cool. (laughs) I feel like I had that dinosaur model kit as a little kid. (laughs) Some of the models of it, they made it so that they could actually uh, load, cock, and shoot a little tooth. I don't know if it was a real tooth or a fake tooth, but but, yeah, some of them actually shot. I... I got. I just have to say the symbolism. Like, I love the they're using a flesh controller, and then their enemies are like, "We'll use a bone gun." It's such mm-hmm. perfect, like hard versus fleshy. But like, they're the same. They're all parts of just us. Like, this is all just us picking pieces of us and being like, "This piece is good, and this piece is bad." It's so interesting. Like, it's fun. 
And then it's interesting that um, on the layer of reality, question mark, uh, the video game system is now kind of way more bone-like instead mm. of, and there's no flesh quality to it. But yeah, I like how um, through all these layers, there's the different gun, there's the dogs transporting the guns. Uh, yeah. Um, that was funny. And, and the, the game pods kind of change visually. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. Um, the fast food they get, uh, Perky Pats, that is a reference to uh, the... Damn, I didn't write the whole... I didn't write the title down. Um, the three, three Stigmata of Palmer... Eldritch. Eldritch uh, by Philip K. Dick. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess Perky Pats is like a company in that. So the, the food they bring back to the hotel... And one of those first scenes is, is Perky Pats. That makes uh, a lot of sense because yeah. Three Sigmata of Eldritch, uh, Palmer Eldritch is all about taking a drug that basically is like playing a video game where you go into these small sets where you want to keep buying better and better project products for your small sets. So in a game about creating an escapist reality that you go deep into, it makes total sense. I need to reread that. It's been a long time. Um, apparently, I guess a lot of people... A lot of critics said this is like a Total Recall ripoff. Apparently, which I don't agree with, but apparently um, Cronenberg actually worked for years. He wrote, uh, co-wrote 12 different scripts for Total Recall. Um, <laughs> Whoa. And then he, event he eventually walked away when his co-writer uh, suggested that they shouldn't be so faithful to the original um, uh, short story and that they should try to make a movie that was like... Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark goes to Mars. <laughs> you mean Doom? Him off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, another thing I wanted to bring up when they were when we were talking about the generals and feminization is um, when he blows neurosurgeons the pod and she gets uh, really upset. Um, Jennifer Mormon brings up in her commentary that that. That's kind of feels like it's flipping the role of um, or feels like like uh, he came too quick. Um, mm. Well, can I can I can I reverse that? And actually, to me, that felt like she did something wrong. She plugged this thing into him and it went wrong. And then that's she, what she said. Yeah. And then, she, yes, yeah. she got she got mad at him. And it's like, actually, this is your fault, you know? And yeah, and yeah. That, that was my read during that. I'm glad. I'm sorry I cut you off when you were going to say the, the same thing. I'm no, sorry. no, no. Uh, I, I was presenting us the other way, but I was in my head. I was like, that doesn't sound I think yeah. I got that wrong. And then, yeah, yeah, that that is what she said. Yeah. Um, uh, and she even like compares. Yeah. The, the words like you blew the pod to you blew the. You blew your wad or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a perfect um, little, like, uh, layering of, like, the Marxist stuff with the weird sexual stuff. Like, she's the boss. He's mm -hmm. new. So she's the expert. So he has to take her word. And then she kind of messes up by because she's the one who set up the guy who did the pod, but can blame her underling like bosses always do, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Also going to the Marxism, she brought up in the commentary when they first getting into the game together, he goes like, he automatically assumes that they're competing against each other. And he's like, well, how am I going to have a chance against you? It's like, he's never played a video game before, but he just automatically thinks that the two of them are going to be competing, which uh, um, would be conditioned because that's what capitalism is. You're always competing. And yeah. uh, also he's like, uh, you're going to be way more skilled than me. 
and then she kind of like plays it off like oh no no um uh uh it'll be fine and um uh you would be able to beat the inventor of poker poker or, or you'd have a chance against the inventor of poker right and then it's she kind of uh, uh makes comparison to you know like people born rich kind of like a or a people in, in extreme positions of capitalist power and uh, with capital at their means, like just kind of like playing off their advantage and being and playing down their, yeah. their, their advantage of the roles. I'm again, gonna point out that this feels like someone who's not had sex before being pressured by someone who oh, 100%. Ha- has had sex. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every single interaction could be drugs, could be sex, could be a workplace thing. Like it's all, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I also I think this movie really goes a lot along with um, Naked Lunch, Crimes of the Future, and Video Drum. I think those four movies really, really go good together. I mean, uh, Video Drum. One of the main things they say is death to Video Drum, and this is death to the demoness Allegra. Yeah. Um, and that that movie is also about uh, merging and consumption of media with the body as well as a uh, free will because um. It's people basically trying to mold uh, James Wood into an assassin and uh, making him kill against his own will. Um, uh, and then you have uh, Naked Lunch, which is kind of like the melding of Burroughs' biography with the writing of his book, with his book kind of all molded into this one thing, which kind of plays into the levels of reality. Um, and then uh, Crimes of the Future is big on... Um, kind of technology or the, the the way our bodies will advance in a future in us uh the world that we've created i guess and how that's going to have an effect on our body and how much kind of um power we will have uh sometimes by choosing to have power over it or sometimes just because of the hellscapes we've created um yeah i, I think that's all Fuck really yeah got. dude yeah yeah, that's plenty. That's so much. That was awesome. Let's uh, let's fucking do some awards, y'all. Who wants to start with a favorite shot? I think it has to be somewhere on that assembly line. Something in there. Like, it's just like it's such a vibe. Uh, yeah, it's so gross, and it just made me think of like so many things. Like, it would just invoked so many images of like the worst like parts of this world that make everything happen that totally. we just don't see. I'm going to jump on that because I same thing. Mine was there's two different shots that are just a conveyor belt of mutated uh, amphibians going along. And it's just like he pairs that so often with lines of like existential questions. Like, what are we doing here? Why are we here? That it was like this perfect pairing of the big questions with the horrible reality we're in now i'm like we are he's showing us that we are the mutated amphibians on a conveyor belt best case scenario we just end up in a trash can and or or vice versa and worst case scenario vice versa we get picked apart to become part of a product that's pretty much reality right now (laughs) so yeah those shots were great because they made me feel a lot it's weird i never think of um Cronenberg is like a visually stunning director outside of, you know, just like his cool effects works. But then I watch his movies. I'm like, oh, there's some really good cinematography and some good shots. There's some really, really good stuff. I don't know why I don't think of that when I think of Cronenberg. So there were lots of just kind of like, you know, not 
not that important shots that I just think were beautifully framed, which I marked down as some of my potential favorite shots. Like the one at the end where Yevgeny Nourish is approaching, um, I think her name is Merle, and she's sitting on a pew against the, the wall, and then he comes up and sits in the pew behind her. So well, just a gorgeous shot. Um, nothing really, I guess, particularly notable about it, but I just, it's just very, very appealing to my eye. Um, but I think if I had to choose one, uh, I would go with when she kills Pykel and then, uh, she looks out and there's still this battlefield raging and, but she sees the church pew, um, on the field and she starts kind of walking towards it and she's kind of like putting her arms around, kind of like feeling around the world, I guess, and kind of walking in a weird way. She approaches the church pew in this, uh, beautifully lit battlefield, like that shot a lot. Hell yeah. All right. Dumb cop of the week. I feel like it's got to be Allegra. Same. I mean, both this and Praxis are such hard questions yes. to answer because of the layers of who, what the real motives are and who people actually were. Yep. So um, I'm going to go with Yevgeny Nourish for making a super racist game that uh, if you have a Chinese player, the game ultimately says, okay, you're going to be a Chinese winner. <laughs> Good answer. That is another thing that made me think this can't be the reality. He can't be a Chinese. <laughs> like, it can't be real. Uh, please don't make it be real. But yeah, that's a great yeah. answer. Yeah. Um, You you called it ahead of time, Charlie. Uh, my Praxis Award is that I do not have one. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> yeah. I... Oh, I'm going to go... Would you not have one, Barta? No, they're all fucking aliens, man. They're they're yeah. Their whole structure of motivation is so <laughs> unlike my own that I don't, I don't know. I am going to go with the dog for being a master gun runner slash smuggler <laughs> on multiple levels of reality. That's a really good Way answer. Go the extra mile, Charlie. That's, what, that's thanks, an amazing bud. answer. God, you, that's why they pay you the big bucks, Charlie. Fuck yeah. All right. How are we going to rate this thing? This is a three-star movie. Okay. I'm, man, we've we've really descended. Like, early on, I would not give anything a star. Like, I wouldn't give it out of five or something. But now I'm always tempted to. Uh, so, no, you're good. I, I'm going to, I'm between four and four and a half. I'm going to. I think I'm going to give it a four and a half uh, levels of reality of games out of are there four or are there five? We don't know. Mm. But it's five, four and a half out of five. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll give it um PlayStation 5, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, um, Super Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, And then um, uh, half of a really great gaming pc D diddy's from a video game any peanut poppers uh oh shit he is from a video game um he's from multiple video games oh yeah uh, he's from a video game what am i thinking you're right yeah i'm gonna throw in a peanut popper <laughs> okay yeah. good okay good, yeah. good. I, I do want to say like i i one of the things i i get so tripped up talking about movies that like i only sort of like with you guys because the whole time having this conversation i'm like did i really think this was only like a middle yeah. you know like an okay movie <laughs> and because there's so much here it is so yeah. it's just i don't like watching it that much <laughs> i 
I mean, I'm glad that I've taken this pill that Charlie forced down my throat, like he's Allegra, wow. of watching movies twice because for the podcast, because the first time I ended it, and I was like genuinely upset. Like, I was like, why the fuck did I watch this movie? And then thinking about it, I'm like, okay, it's a different movie now, and I'm like going to watch it differently, and I enjoy it now, but I think it's totally valid to be like... Uh, the pacing, the characters, like, I don't give a shit, but it's all, that's why ratings are bullshit. It's all just vibes, bro. Yeah. It's all vibes all the uh, way down. Yeah. I did notice you put a heart on your second watch of it. So I was like, oh, I think you liked it more. This I got, I knew you were looking that close. I knew it. <laughs> the first time I was like, I'm not going to heart it. And he's going to notice. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Cause I don't rate them before this only because I know you're looking Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> um sweet that was so much fun good pick charlie thank you for listening everybody come back next time we're concluding our coverage of monarch legacy of monsters i think i'm gonna fucking turn this shit off and watch the last episode right now y'all uh you yeah, can check us out on that. patreon patreon.com slash no gods pot dollar a month gets you new content bunch of stuff check it out uh, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else. Write a review. It helps us out a ton. You can find us on Twitter and Blue Sky at No Gods Pod. See you next time, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.